Welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM 2020 is brought to you by the organizational team, Anne, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, listeners, to a special bonus episode of Drinking and Screaming, recorded specially for International Podcast Month 2020. This is our second time participating in IPM, and we couldn't be happier to be here. We're Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails, and this will be a slightly shorter episode than our regular content to give you a taste of what we're like. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we watched Jennifer's Body from 2009. Oh man, do we have thoughts about it. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be completely unlike Jennifer, a virgin. This episode will contain discussion on ableism, abduction, assault, and gore. If any of these topics are something that you don't need to hear right now, feel free to skip this episode. So I made this drink. Yeah, you did. I did. And my concept for it is, I call it the virgin. Mm-hmm. And it's a virgin cocktail, but nobody needs to know that. And my idea was when you're in high school, I mean, my mom is amazing in that she was very supportive about me going to parties. And at the time I was very opposed to drinking. So she was like, you can just get a beer, go to the bathroom, pour it out in the sink, refill it with water and no one will need to know. Yeah. So this is the cocktail version of that where you show up to the party with a ready made cocktail that looks like it's got alcohol in it. I even have like a lemon peel, lemon rind. Yeah. So it looks bougie. So you, your friends will think that you're, you know what you're doing. Bougie, but mine is in a solo red cup. So <laughs> I don't know how much. It- I mean, that goes with the party theme too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have not taken a sip yet, so I'm worried because most of the ingredients in this are very sour. Yeah, so this is about a a half ounce of lime juice, a half ounce of lemon juice, and about four ounces of berry juice of your choice. And then some lemon rind in there, too. All right, here we go. Ah, oh, God. What are you talking about? It's amazing. Oh, I can feel it in my teeth. (laughs) It's like my brain is screaming at me. For those of you who don't know, Kelly hates sour drinks. (laughs) And this is Uh, like basically a pink lemonade. (laughs) uh, Oh, man. It's like it's like every nerve in my teeth is rattling right now. There is so much lemon in this. Oh, and I love it. It's fresh lemon. Like, oh, yeah, this is straight from the source. Oh, man. This is Uh, definitely a char drink for sure. Yeah, exactly what I would love. And I loved your idea when we were taking the photos for this of putting it in the solo cup and writing needy on it. I thought that was a good touch. Now it looks like I'm just drinking some beer with the boys. Bevies with the boys. It's funny because at the time of recording this, our last episode that we recorded, not necessarily came out, was just a martini. So that was a drink for me. (laughs) This one is all for sure. Nom, 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 nom. So this week we watched Jennifer's Body, which premiered on September 18th, 2009. It's directed by Karen Kusama and written by Diablo Cody. It stars Megan Fox as succubus cheerleader Jennifer, Amanda Seyfried as badass questioning best friend Needy, and Johnny Simmons as Needy's boyfriend Chip. 
This synopsis has been ripped off of IMDb by user Claudio Carvalho, a longtime helper for Un- us. Unknown uh, uh, offerer of synopsises. Thank you, Claudio. In Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, Needy Kasnicki is a shy teenage student that idolizes her cheerleader friend, Jennifer Check, who is very arrogant. They attend a performance of the rock band Low Shoulder at a bar, and the band leader overhears that Jennifer is a virgin. When the place is set on fire, Jennifer is abducted by the band in their van. She later appears at Needy's home, covered in blood, throwing up a dark liquid and with a weird behavior. Over the next few weeks, many male classmates are found murdered with eaten parts of their bodies. Needy discovers that Jennifer was sacrificed by the band members in a black magic ritual, but something went wrong because Jennifer was not a virgin. And she transformed into a flesh-eating succubus. Needy tries to keep her boyfriend Chip away from Jennifer. Thanks, Claudio, for that. Just to wrap up the synopsis here, a little addition from me. It's time for the spring formal, and things have not been going super well with Chip and Needy. She begs him not to go to the dance because Jennifer is evil, and not just high school evil. But of course, he goes anyways, without Needy realizing. Meanwhile, Needy is at the dance, keeping a lookout for Jennifer, who is nowhere to be seen. She catches up with Chip on the way to the dance and convinces him that Needy cheated on him with Colin, the school goth. The two head off to a closed pool to make out, and Jennifer decides to eat him. Thankfully, Needy put two and two together and arrives just in time. Just kidding, she's too late and Chip is unfortunately dead, but not before they manage to stab Jennifer with a pool cleaner. Needy heads to Jennifer's house where they have a final battle, ending with Jennifer's mom walking in as Needy is on top of her daughter's dead body. Needy is sent to a mental institution and we see that she has gained some of the demon's powers by being scratched from Jennifer. She goes on a hellish revenge rampage, escaping the institution and murdering all members of the low shoulder band. I think she was bit. No, she was scratched. I thought she was scratched and bit. Maybe. Anyway, That could be. She was injured. There she, was bodily fluids exchanged. Something transferred and now she can kick and jump real good. <laughs> Normally on our episodes, we're a bit risky with copyright laws and we'd play the trailer audio here and discuss it, but we're going to just dive on into our thoughts. I mean, it's 2009, so we can assume that it starts with a Sum 41 song and has a bunch of really bad font that pops up and it's like, Jennifer was a normal girl (laughs) until she was sacrificed in a pool. (laughs) Needy was her best friend who just wanted to fit in. That was pretty good. Yeah. Now we're going to get sued because that was too perfect. (laughs) But actually, it kind of goes with my first point of it's my understanding that this movie did not do very well at the box office upon first release because of their marketing strategy. The marketing team was all male and they were decided to pitch this as a it's a Megan Fox hot Uh, summer flick. That would explain the sum 41. Yeah. There's two girls in it. Bet they're going to kiss. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so 
That doesn't really make sense to me, though, because watching this film, it's not really a movie for men. No, definitely not. Or it's, not straight men, at least. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually about a badass demon woman that eats men and a totally badass high school chick who then has to destroy said demon while also being very confused about her sexuality because Megan's really hot, you know? Yeah. Also Kissing it, feels good. It's like supposed to be like a generic high school, but like the, the big job is clearly gay and had uh, feelings for his best friend. The like the gothy kid who's supposed to be like awkward and all about death is just like a really good poet and writer and just wants to go on a date with someone and be all sweet and stuff. Yeah, they totally push the boundaries of what a typical high school would be like. Yeah. Which I love to see. It was really cool. But I imagine people who came out of Transformers, I assume came out before this and they're like, oh yeah, Megan Fox bent over a car fixing, fixing the Autobots came into this and they're like, well, she's hot, but man, I got to think about stuff now. This, this is awful. Yeah. I have a few more tidbits to go into this, but I'll leave them for our scaredy fact trivia section. Ooh. But my last point that I'm going to make, we're doing a quick episode. Normally we're more in depth. Uh, This is really like a dark comedy horror. There is a lot of funny moments in this film, but it's also really not because a main point of the movie is really tragic. Like it goes beyond just like dark comedy tragedy of Jennifer being abducted and they kind of gloss over that and then bring it back at the end. But when you do see her telling the story, they they include a lot of jokes that happen during the sacrifice scene. And I found that that really lessened the impact because really what happens to Jennifer is incredibly awful and something that happens to so many women in the world. Yeah. Not the demonic sacrifice, but... Well, I mean, historically speaking. <laughs> true, true. And I, But that's like the real horror element of this movie, not Jennifer eating a bunch of her male classmates for power. Which, frankly, that concept is awesome and very empowering for women. If only she didn't have to kill them, you know? She could just have her way with them. She also did it to the guys that didn't seem to deserve it. Like I said, she she did it to the, like, jock who was just really upset about his, his crush dying. And the goth kid who just wanted to go on a date. And it's like, it seemed like she was getting revenge on the band by doing it to all men, but wasn't necessarily the right direction to go. I don't know. Which I think was more like the demon possessing her. It's not a typical demon possession movie because Jennifer is still in control. Yeah. But she's doing it just for reasons of fulfilling this need and (laughs) needy. Um, But then she just is using whatever she can. These guys were like, she was able to get them alone. Yeah. I guess if it was like a demon from Insidious or something, we wouldn't be questioning why they were picking nice guys. Yeah. But But then also it kind of adds in this weird power dynamic between Jennifer and Needy because she watched Colin and Needy be friends and she made fun of that relationship a lot. Yeah. But then as soon as it seemed like maybe Colin was into Needy, she had to be the one that had him, Mm -hmm. which goes even further when she attacks Chip because it's Needy's boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed more like she was traumatized by being sacrificed and then took it out on the boys. But then when you contextualize the fact that she's got a demon inside her that you're like, no, the demon's bad. The demon's yeah. the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer wasn't great before being sacrificed, but the demon, the demon's the bad one. Do you have some thoughts? Yes, I do. So we got feedback in our last season about people wanting me to like discuss queer representation stuff more, which I want to do. So it's clear that 
in this movie, Needy is like either questioning or by or like specifically into Jennifer, which is interesting the way that they approached it in the movie. But there's a few like sad moments that I took from it. Mm. Um, so like growing up, Needy clearly has an obsession with Jennifer and Jennifer clearly knows that. And it's one of those friendships where she's just using this girl who could she can easily manipulate. Right. But Needy clearly wants to be with Jennifer or at least doesn't know that she wants to be, but has interest in being with Jennifer. So the moment that like Needy is getting her power back against Jennifer, that's when Jennifer like goes in for the kiss. And she's like, she's basically like, I know you wanted this Needy and Needy kind of like gives in because it is what she wanted. And there's like this exciting moment of Needy finally getting to kiss a girl and like exploring that. But then it's, it's more of like a trap because Jennifer's just finally giving Needy what she wanted as a way to get her back on her side. To, yeah, have that control over her. Yeah. And but, Needy doesn't seem like the person that would cheat on her partner. I feel like they're... Actually, I don't know. What do you feel like? Yeah. Was there this demonic control that was sort of seeping into the scene? Or do you think that Needy was in control there? I think it was more that the demon knew that Needy wanted this and used Jennifer to get that out of her. Yeah. But I really liked because there's some people that date by folk that are like, well, you're going to cheat on me because if a guy comes and wants to hang out with you, you'd go with them or if yeah. a girl comes. But I really like that for a moment you think that's going to happen with Needy, but then she does push Jennifer away and she's like, I'm a chip and also you're a demon. This is bad. So I think it was good representation of that moment of weakness and like finally getting what you want, but then being a human being that doesn't cheat. Yeah. Pushing her aside. A good person. Yeah. Because if she wasn't with Chip, she probably would be with Jennifer. It'd be an extremely toxic relationship and uh, one-sided power. But, you know, yeah, that's what she wanted. It's also like to think about Needy as a character. She is very like unsure about her sexuality in general because we have that parallel juxtaposition scene of Jennifer and Colin about to have sex while she's basically going to eat him. But it's very like hot and uh, passionate. Yeah, very passionate. And then we have Needy with her boyfriend. And it's clearly, if not their first time, one of their first times. And it was just the cutest. So like awkward and adorable. Much too real. (laughs) Yeah, it it was very well done. I really liked that moment. Because he's like excited that he got some more condoms. And he's like, I got this like humidifier. It's got some nice smells. It'll make it nice in here and he's like checking up on her all the time and it was really sweet yeah but then she gets distracted because she has a psychic connection to Jennifer. what Jennifer is doing yeah, yeah she always had this like high perception that was never explained even before she got bit I'm glad that's very it was very D&D yeah she had a high perception uh Jennifer had high charisma Chip had high uh strength <laughs> <laughs> anyways going on to my next point yeah I could not stand the writing in this movie the dialogue of everyone talking just oh my god it was it was a lot um it does feel very of its time yeah like (laughs) pre-woke char (laughs) (laughs) i specifically wrote that this is accurate to 2019 speak for sure because this is a lot of the way that i talked but they dropped like hard r's and f's and it was like it was really not Great. It kind of makes multiple me th- times. Oh, yeah. Like, um, especially considering for a movie that's like seems to be exploring someone's sexuality to like throw out the F-bomb. So uh, haphazardly is it was a strange choice for me. Yeah, I totally agree. It kind of makes me think of I don't 
I don't ever want to watch Juno again because the writing was so specific of that time that I'm afraid that it will just not age well at all. I'm smiling. Listeners, you can't see me, but I'm smiling because you know who wrote Juno? Oh, no. (laughs) Diablo Cody. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's hilarious. Oh, man. I mean, it was telling then that while I was watching this movie, I'm like, boy, oh, boy, does Jennifer seem like Juno. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you ready to jump into recommended viewing? I am. A new segment for our season three of this podcast that we've added in. Quick, fast, speedy recommendations. Mine, I'm going to go with recommending watching Red Riding Hood from 2011, which is a horror fantasy that also stars Amanda Seyfried. And it's another great, it's a monster movie, and I don't really want to spoil it too much. So go watch it. Uh, I am going to recommend Scott Pilgrim. I don't know why I've really gotten into it again. but Because I did. they did that Zoom Yeah, read. they did the like live reading. But it's also of its time writing. But I think the actual like hipster representation is more applicable now than it when it came out. Also, it's got young Neil, who was Chip in this movie. Hey, yeah. right. I remember you saying that when we first saw that character. Which brings us to... Scaredy facts. For those of you who don't know, this segment of our podcast is a mirror of Shar and I's relationship, where we will get all scared watching a horror movie and have to cuddle up in bed and look up some trivia on IMDb usually. And dissecting the movie under that lens really helps us get unscared so we can finally sleep. And we've uh, incorporated that into our podcast for all our listeners. So welcome to our relationship. Yay. Whee! <laughs> Starting off with the budget, it was an estimated $16 million. Opening weekend, they made $6.8 million. Yeah. So very sad. Cumulative worldwide gross is at $31.5 million. So not too bad. They still dub- almost doubled, but... It could have been way more successful. And a lot of the success that they have from the cumulative worldwide gross is because it has this cult following now. Yeah. Because it was marketed so badly at the beginning. It's one of those movies where I think it probably could have a better cult following if its dialogue was better. Mm. Um, Because now people are less uh, okay with that, which is good. But I think it kind of shot itself in the foot of having bad promotion and also uh, very of its time writing. Yeah. So the waterfall that goes nowhere is actually the Devil's Kettle at Judge Magny State Park in Minnesota. The water disappears into a glacial pothole. But wow. it is like a real place. Yeah, I thought that was CGI when so I saw did it. I. But yeah. I didn't realize that it was actually a thing. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, to prepare for her role as a possessed living dead teenager, Megan Fox had to lose about 15 pounds. So she was actually a 97 pound teenager for this film. She did look extremely skinny. It reminded me of when uh, I think it was Christian Bale lost just so much weight for The Machinist. And it's like a method acting thing. I praise actors who can do this. I mean, it does help having a personal trainer hired yeah. for you. Yeah, it's a, it's also like how all the Marvel people have to have like a specific body type. The Marvel diet. You hear so much about this. Yeah. I like that actors are speaking up more now about like how unhealthy it is. And they're like, those pictures and the recordings that you saw, I didn't drink water for about three days. And uh, I worked out just before the take. I will never have a body like that again. Do not aspire to look like this. Yeah. Uh, Which is very good. I think definitely don't definitely don't look at Megan Fox in this movie 
or Christian Bale in The Machinist and be like, I got to have a body like that. Man, it just reminded me of high school. <laughs> My next one is something that kind of goes along with one of your points that you were saying about the the sexual tension between Jennifer and Needy, which is that in the original script, the sexual tension was way, way higher. It was a reflection of teenage curiosity and experimentation with the same sex. They were originally even going to have sex in the film. Ooh. Yeah. I'm sure that would have pulled in the male audience much more. Wink. I didn't mention it when you were talking about the promotion but the DVD actually says like Jennifer's body uncut or something like that, which was also a very of its time marketing where it's like, there might need more boobs in this one. <gasps> yeah, for sure. Okay, this goes with the marketing thing that I was telling you about before. In a February 2016 interview with the New York Times, while trying to illustrate how completely the studio's all-male marketing department misunderstood the point of this movie, director Karen Kusama recalled that one of their marketing ideas was for Megan Fox to do live chats with amateur porn sites. Kusama said that she begged them to not even mention the idea to Fox because she will become so dispirited it was crushing. Wow. Because it just goes with that whole Megan Fox is a sex symbol. Let's get her on Pornhub and have her talk to fans. Wow, that's depressing. Yep. <laughs> yep. I Yeah. Like we watched a horror movie recently that was actively like about cam girls and stuff. And oh, that, yeah, Cam. That would make sense as a marketing decision. But that one also covered the subject, I feel, much better than let's get Megan Fox to talk, do an interview on a porn site for this movie that's not about that at all. Yeah. Is much worse. Going back to the typical blood of old movies being like ketchup or uh, chocolate sauce, that was used in this film. Hershey's chocolate syrup was used for Jennifer's uh, black vomiting scene, along with the use of CGI animation. I mean, that's when it's good. You just get to put a bunch of chocolate in your mouth and spit <laughs> it out. <laughs> Did you recognize the person at the end of the movie when Needy is walking? She had just escaped from the mental institution and she's walking along the low shoulder and a guy picks her up in a car. It's an old man. Did you recognize him? I didn't notice that the teacher was J.K. Simmons. So no, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> well, I immediately was like, oh, it's this guy who I connected the dots of being from a classic horror, but I couldn't remember what horror movie it was, but it's Bishop from Aliens, Ooh. a.k.a. Lance Hendrickson. So, yeah, he's the guy that picks her up at the end of the film, just as like a cute cameo. So, yeah, he's the android in Aliens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the guy that's like, they're coming out of the walls, man. I love that every time Aliens comes up, that's what you bring up. I mean, there's other lines, but I'm not allowed to say it for this recording. <laughs> also, something that's interesting is there's a factual error in this film, which is that Needy does a bunch of research on the occult and determines that Jennifer is a succubus, a demon which feeds on flesh. And it's used in the synopsis. It's used in the marketing. But really, a succubus is believed to be a female demon that has intercourse with sleeping men and does not, in fact, need to eat their flesh. I feel like there's other representations of succubus because I've definitely heard the one of like attracting men and just as they're about to have sex or while they're having sex, eating them kind of like a praying mantis. Oh, OK. I know so maybe definitely, it goes both ways. I know, <laughs> just like Jennifer. <laughs> I know definitely that even if the original succubus was that, like just sleeping or having sex with sleeping men, it's evolved to the point where everyone 
understands that succubus eat people. Mm. And the male version is called an incubus. Ah, I did not know. Mm -hmm. Cool. Just a a very attractive man that eats women. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for some final thoughts. That's all the scaredy facts I got. My final thought is kind of sad. I think I liked this movie, but I wouldn't really want to watch it again. And I think that just comes from the fact that like it felt so awkward watching it during like a lot of the dialogue scenes. I'm glad that we watched it. And I feel like I've been meaning to watch it because it has been shown to be like a very queer, pro-queer, kind of like pop culture queer movie. Yeah. So I'm glad I watched it, but I think it didn't age well enough to make me want to watch it again. Totally fair. It definitely gets paralleled a lot with Ginger Snaps, who has uh, that's a film that we've already watched for by the time this episode will come out. So it'll be on our main feed if you want to hear us talk about that. But it has two female protagonists that are very, very close. And then they start to like one of them becomes like possessed or changes and then they have this power shift. And the both films have a lot of this sexual tension, this like undertones of queerness mm-hmm. which is very interesting but you're right i would just rather watch ginger steps yeah. again but that's not to say that this film jennifer's body was bad i think it could use a remake a good remake the failure of this movie made studios think that they couldn't make movies about strong supernatural women gosh darn it <laughs> well that's been jennifer's body a movie about jennifer and her body You can find us on all podcast listening services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you're currently listening. We're also in the middle of our third season, and we'd love to have you join us for the ride. For more information, you can check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. You can also follow us on socials, Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, Facebook at drink and scream, or email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. And remember, always scream responsibly. The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelly. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter and use the hashtag PodMonth2020. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.